0: Our sermon text and epistle lesson is from 1 Thessalonians chapters 2 and 3. I'm going to read the last part of chapter 2 and then chapter 3 from the handout. Listen carefully because this is God's inspired word. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith, and love, and reported That you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Thus far the reading of God's word, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Help us, God, as we study your word, as we consider what it has to say to us. And to us as a congregation, to us as individual Christians especially what it has to say to us about how to pray and how to love one another. Open our hearts and teach us through your word, by your spirit, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2. Most of the verses we'll be looking at are on the handout, but some of them fall outside the passage there. So it'd be good if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. I'll be referring to some verses outside that book, but most, most of them will be inside 1 Thessalonians. During the month of December, as most of you know, we've been learning to pray As Paul prayed, today we take a step back and learn to love as Paul loved. Because the engine of our prayers for God's people is an intense love for those that we're praying for. Today's sermon connects well with the book that Elder Peterson gave to each household by Sinclair Ferguson, I believe it was something like When Love Came Down, um, in, is that what it's called? Yeah. When Love, we, we, read, we read through it during Advent and Christmas. Actually, we have one reading left in our family devotional reading time together. It's an awesome book. If you didn't read it, put it on the top of the list for next year's Advent and Christmas reading, or just read it today and tomorrow. It's not a long read. But it's a, it's a study on 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which is the love chapter. And the whole point, he just walks through the chapter and, point, and shows how it points to Jesus, who is love incarnate. When Jesus came down, love came down. And today's sermon is is centered on that Christian love. The love of God that he shows us, that he shares with us, and that he enables us to show others. The Christ, Christian love is different from the love of that the world shows and has. And the love that Paul had for the saints was the engine that drove his prayers. And so to learn how to pray like Paul, we need to learn how to love like Paul. And so today's message, in many ways, is is a long introduction to next week's sermon on 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 to 13. That's the part that's grayed out. I read it. But it's on your handout, it's grayed out at the end, because we're not going to get there today. And while it's true that all of Paul's prayers serve as models for our prayers, the prayer in verses nine to 13, is especially helpful in revealing the deepest desires and motivations and emotions, the feelings of the apostle Paul. His profound, and we saw it in the first, the first part that we read, too, back into chapter 2, his profound concern for the people of God manifests itself, not only in the prayer in verses 9 to 13, but also in the verses leading up to it, leading up to the prayer, going back to verse 17 of chapter 2. And so these, these preceding 12 verses, 2.17 to 3.8, impress upon us Paul's deep love for God's people. And we get to see the driving force behind Paul's prayers for the Thessalonians. And and, and what is it? It's love, not worldly love, not sentimental love, but Christian love, selfless love, sacrificial love, spirit-filled love, mature love, God-like love, Christ-like love, a love that aches and hopes a love whose well runs deep. Did you hear him say a couple times? I, when I could bear it no longer. In fact, this love is a love whose well never runs dry. Jesus said in John 7 38, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water flowed continuously out of Paul's heart and into the people he loved, the people of God. He loved his brothers and sisters in Christ. In particular, he loved the Thessalonians. He loved them in tangible, dateable, concrete ways. He loved them with his time and his resources. He loved them with his pen, and he loved them especially with his prayers. Paul never ceased to love God's people with his prayers, even when he couldn't be with them to express his love for them in, in other ways. And this should encourage us and inspire us. You can always love your brothers and sisters in the household of God, your siblings in the faith, by praying for them, by lifting them up in prayer to our common Father even when you can't spend as much time as you'd like in face-to-face fellowship, which is preferable. Paul knows it's preferable. He talks about how it's preferable even in this passage. But when you can't, or when you can't do it as much as you'd like, you can always love the brethren in prayer. So the the main theme, the big idea of the sermon today is that Prayer for the people of God must spring from an intense love for the people of God. Prayer for the people of God springs must spring from an intense love for the people of God. Paul's prayers for the Thessalonians certainly sprang from his intense love for them. He had a bottomless well of love for the brethren. It was bottomless because its ultimate source was Jesus and his spirit. And out of this well of intense Christian love sprang forth Paul's prayers for the Thessalonians. Your prayers for the people of God must spring from an intense love for those you're praying for. Our text this morning teaches us three ways in which prayer springs from a holy love, a God-given love, a God-like love. We see in this passage three different aspects of Paul's love for the Thessalonian Christians. And you can see the, main, the three main points on your outline. Prayer springs from a desire to be with God's people. Number two, prayer springs from a desire to seek the good of God's people. And number three, prayer springs from a desire to hear about the love and steadfast faith of God's people. To hear about the work of God's grace. In God's people, first prayer springs from a desire to be with God's people. This just jumps out at the page, it j- jumps off the page uh, as we read Paul's desire to be with God's people. And we know not only from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, but also from the book of Acts, that Paul didn't get to spend nearly as much time with the, with the Thessalonian believers as he would have liked. Acts 17 records Paul's planting of the Thessalonian church, and we read there that just before Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he and Silas had been badly beaten in Philippi, driven out of town, and and that that's where they were imprisoned. Do you remember? And then forced forced to leave. And from Philippi, they went to Thessalonica, where Paul began to tell people about Jesus, and he planted a new congregation there. But once again, opposition to Paul's ministry mounted, and it became so heated that he had to leave again after only a few weeks. He was only there for, for three Sabbaths, it says, before he was torn away in his words in First Thessalonians, torn away from the new congregation that he had just planted a congregation full of baby Christians who needed to be nurtured in the faith. From Thessalonica, he went to Berea, and then to Athens, and then he landed at Corinth, where he, was, where he stayed for a while. And while he was there in Corinth, Paul began to look back on the churches that he had recently planted in, the, in those cities and it grieved him that he was unable to spend much time with the new believers in those church plants, discipling them, encouraging them in their new faith in Jesus. Paul had a passion for nurturing believers in their faith. In 1 Thessalonians 2, coming back to our our text, actually a few verses before our text, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, Paul compared himself to a nursing mother who nurtures her child by, by sharing her body and her life with her newborn. It's hard to imagine a stronger emotional bond than that between a loving mother and her nursing babe. And this is the analogy that Paul uses when describing his love for the Thessalonians. And being forced to leave them, the Thessalonian Christians... So soon, and being forced to leave them so soon after they had been born into the household of God, Paul felt like a nursing mother who's been stripped away from her newborn child. He he was affectionately desirous of them, verse 8 says. The way a nursing mother is affectionately desirous of her nursing baby, especially if they are separated. Then in verse 17, first verse on the handout, he writes, But since we were torn away from you, brethren, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Paul reiterates this desire to see them at the beginning of chapter 3, if you skip down to verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. And again, down in verse 5, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Do you see how committed Paul is to the spiritual well-being of other Christians, especially New believers. He wants to be with them, and he wants to be with them for their good. He's burning up inside because he wants to be with these people he just met. People he only really spent a few weeks with at most. Like a nursing mother, he can hardly think about anything except caring for them, helping them, feeding them God's word, building them up in the faith laying for them a solid foundation in the gospel. And so what's he do when he realizes that he can't visit them personally? Well, he sends Timothy, all right, his right-hand man. He gives him up to go there. But more importantly, he devotes himself to praying for them. And we see that prayer at the end of chapter 3. He had poured himself out for them while he was with them. And now, while he's physically away from them... He pours himself out for them in prayer. Paul is invested. He wants their best because he loves them personally. And his his concern for them is deep. And so out of concern for them, he runs to the throne of grace. And this kind of personal investment is typical of the Apostle Paul. He doesn't know how to relate to other people except by becoming enmeshed in their lives, in the lives of other Christians. He's personal. He's relational. He's not into superficial relationships. He wants to go deep. And and this makes him, by the way, vulnerable. God's, God's people often hurt Paul. They regularly cause him grief. And this is because Paul allows himself to get close to them actually cares about them as we're going to read from second corinthians 11 in a minute what happens to them happens to him and when you care for people and get close to them you put yourself in a position in a vulnerable position in a position to be hurt affected sometimes it's uncomfortable or inconvenient the love that paul showed other believers is a mature love but here's the thing it's not just for apostles Paul didn't have this love primarily because he was a leader in the church. It it stemmed from being a Christian, from being a fellow child in the household of God, a fellow spirit-filled saint in God's family, son in God's family. So don't think that Paul's passion for the people of God, and His desire to be with them is only required of spiritual leaders like Paul, or maybe missionaries and pastors and elders, church leaders. No, Paul's heart is just the heart. It, it, it's 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 the affectionate heart of a brother, a brother in the Lord who loves his spiritual siblings simply because they're his spiritual siblings, and who desires to spend face-to-face time with the other children that his heavenly father has adopted into the family of God. And we see how enmeshed Paul was in the lives of other Christians in 2 Corinthians 11, where he writes this, Besides the other things, what, co- what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn within. Second Corinthians 11, 28, 29. Paul's not a man who prizes ideas and theories. And theological systems above people. He's not a Christian who loves people from a distance his top desire is to love and serve the people of God and to be with them to be in fellowship with them this intense love this this passion for the brethren shapes his prayers for them prayers that spring from a deep desire to be with the saints Well, the second thing we see in the ministry of Paul is that prayer springs from a desire to seek the good of God's people. Listen again to Paul in the first part of chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Destined for what? Destined for happiness? Personal fulfillment? No, destined for suffering. Look at verse 4. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul's a man whose deep affection for these new converts ensures that he won't ever need them to feed his ego or to give him a sense of importance or to satisfy his longing for vocational fulfillment or something like that. He's all about them. Consider how far removed Paul is from seeking praise or appreciation or acceptance from these saints. He never needs them to to say thank you or to notice his efforts. He doesn't serve them to feel good about himself or to reach self-actualization or something like that. Paul's not worried about how other believers will meet his needs so much. His concern is is for their good, especially their spiritual well-being. And he's organizing his life and his ministry and his resources and you know, and the people with him to benefit them spiritually. And so he doesn't show up at church or to fellowship events so that others can make him feel significant. He comes looking for ways to edify and to bless others. Personal satisfaction must never become a controlling factor in the life of a Christian personal satisfaction with some circumstance. You know, with with your circumstances in life. God has not guaranteed you a life or a vocation or a calling that gives you that kind of fulfillment that the that the world tells you that you need and you should keep looking for. Paul doesn't or God doesn't guarantee you A marriage or a family or a church that will meet all your longings for companionship and camaraderie and community. Your life and what God is calling you to do with it is not primarily about you and how you feel. It's about God and other people, about love and service. Not not the idea of love and service, but the real-life love and service of real-life people, which is often uncomfortable or inconvenient or worrisome, sometimes even painful, as we enter into the pain of others, even as God entered into our pain and our sin. So the question is not, how can I feel most useful in life? at church, in my job, in my family, whatever. But how can I be most useful? The goal is not to feel appreciated in your service in the body of Christ. The goal is to glorify God by giving your life for the life of others. The goal is not to be seen by others. The goal is to be seen by God, who rewards those who do good works secretly. The question is not, how can I serve in a way that fits with my life? But how can I lose my life and serve God and others more faithfully? How will it look for me to take up my cross and die today, this week, this year? This is how Paul loved. And we see this kind of vivid selflessness in his letters. In his own words, we see his heart in his words to the Thessalonian Christians. We see this mature love in the apostles' ministry and life. Much of our agonizing about life, if we're honest, is is self-centered. We agonize about our relationships, our jobs, our health, our future, our schedules, And, and this is to be expected since life is full of troubles and disappointments. But how often do you find yourself like Paul in agony? And that's what, he, that's what we see here. Paul's in agony. How often do you find yourself like Paul in agony about the spiritual well-being of others? And how often does it drive you to your knees, drive you to prayer the way it did Paul? Paul? Paul's agony in 1 Thessalonians is others-focused. He's agonizing about their future, not his. He's worried about their spiritual health. He agonizes over them, desperately praying that these new believers resist the temptations of the tempter. He wants, above all, to have assurance that they're standing firm under persecution and not being lured away from the faith. He wants to strengthen them and encourage them in their walk with the Lord so that they're steadfast in trials. These are the things that consume Paul. So Paul doesn't just want to be with them. He he also wants to be with them for their good. And this is basic Christianity. Christianity. Paul's giving a class on elementary Christianity. Christ Jesus came to us. He left the glory of heaven to be with us. And this this was for our good. He chose the path of self-denial for your good. He took on your sinful flesh in order to save it save you he he lived a life of suffering and self-denial and he died an excruciating death he died in excruciating shame so that you could live and he calls you god calls you to serve and love in the same way not by lording it over others but by open-eyed death To your self interest for the good of others. This Christ like attitude, this posture toward others, is the hallmark of the Christian life, the hallmark of Christian living. Paul wrote elsewhere, we've already read this passage in our service today after the confession of sins from Philippians 2. But I'll, I'll read a little bit before the part we read, to Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I'll stop there. Philippians 2, 3 to 5. And so that first part about Not looking to your own interests is what it means to have the mind of Christ. Paul understood this point and he lived it out. He understood that the Christian life is the Christ-like life. And the Christ-like life is the one that says to others at every turn, my life for yours. Your interests above mine. Paul's prayers are an extension of his selfless love for people, and specifically his intense desire to seek their good above his own. The third thing we observe in Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians is that prayer springs from a desire to hear about the love and steadfast faith of God's people. We could shorten that to to desire to hear of God's grace in God's people working in God's people. At the beginning of his letter, Paul had already expressed gratitude for the love and for the steadfastness of the Thessalonians. He wrote, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. Paul, Paul was referring there to his memory of them during his stay with them, his short, brief time in Thessalonica. But ever since he left them, he was concerned about how they would fare in the the long haul, in the long run of the Christian life. That's why he commissioned Timothy to go and and see how they're doing and to encourage them, to build them up, to teach them in the faith. And now in chapter 3, he reflects on Timothy's report. So Timothy's come back by the time he's writing this letter, at least this part of the letter, and starting in verse 6, he says this, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord we can deal with all of this persecution because we know that God is at work in you for, for some people the only interesting news is bad news if, if they hear about a, a scandal in a church or a moral failure of a Minister, or some kind of internal difficulties of a prominent ministry, they become full of concern and and righteous indignation. Maybe denounce, they denounce the evil from a place of moral rectitude. Um, Maybe even providing an analysis of the sins that led to the tragedy. And if we're honest, there's a little bit of that, or a lot of that, in all of in all of us. But if, but if there's really good news, they hear about. Christians who are full of joy, who are growing in holiness and effective witness, or about a fruitful ministry, then maybe the interest wanes. There's there's nothing to denounce. There's no foil for their righteousness, their self righteousness. But that's not Paul. We don't we don't get any we don't see any of that in, in the Apostle Paul. He's the opposite. For him, every report of growth and faith and love becomes an occasion for rejoicing. The thing that really gets him going is hearing about believers who are growing in the fundamentals of the faith. Look at the end of verse 8. He basically, he says in essence there, now we're really living over here. Now life is really good for us. Why? Because you are standing firm in the Lord. The, the suffering hadn't gone away. The persecution hadn't, hadn't left. But life is good because they are walking in the truth. What makes you feel alive? Is it hearing that fellow believers are growing in grace? That's what invigorated Paul. And he and, and the apostle John are alike in this. In his second epistle, John writes, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father, 2 John 4. And then in his third epistle, he says, I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 3 John 3 and 4. Did you hear that last part? No greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Has hearing that someone is walking in the truth ever been your greatest joy? Parents, Christian parents, is this what brings you your greatest joy? To know that your children are walking in the truth. Is there any greater joy? Brothers and sisters in Christ, is your greatest joy to hear that fellow saints are walking in the truth? Those that you worship with on the Lord's day. Those that you sit next to or in front of or behind. Those that you enjoy fellowship with are walking in the truth. And if you want accurate answers to those questions, consider how much you pray that your children or that your fellow believers might walk in truth and righteousness. Paul's prayers spring from a bottomless well of love for the Thessalonians. They spring from an intense desire to be with The people of God, an intense desire for their good, for their spiritual well-being, and an intense delight in hearing about their faith and love and steadfastness in the Lord. Do you want to grow in your prayers for the people of God? Do you want to pray more like Paul? Then grow in your love for the brethren. Cultivate, by God's grace, a wellspring of love for the saints. Pray for it. Ask God to give you Paul's love for the saints. To strengthen your prayers for God's people, you must strengthen your love for God's people. To pray like Paul, you must love like Paul. So become the kind of church member who desires to be with the people of God for their spiritual good, not for what they can give you but for what you can give to them, what you can share with them. And then also expect to receive from them as well good things, spiritual things. In the coming year, think of of some, even today, think of some tangible ways you can put the interests of the people in this congregation... Above your own? How can you consider the people in this church more significant than yourself this year? Make it your greatest joy in 2014 to hear that members of the body are growing in love and faith and steadfastness. Steadfastness. When when this becomes your greatest joy, it will enrich your prayers the way it enriched Paul's prayers. And, and when you get this stuff into your heart, then biblical God-honoring prayers will begin to flow out of it like rivers of water. And so continue to pray for the saints of Christ the King Church this week. Let's continue to do this indefinitely, forever. We should always be praying for one another. Continue to pray for the saints this week, and you can use the prayer that I sent last week in the email from 2 Thessalonians 1, and work your way through the directory. And then we'll come back next Sunday, and we'll walk through Paul's prayer at the end of 1 Thessalonians 3, which will become the new prayer that we pray for one another in the following week. Let's let's pray. Father, Please help us to love with Christian love, to love one another the way you love us, the way your son Jesus loved us by dying for us, and the way Paul, in imitating Christ, loved the brethren. Help us to love and to pray faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.